Hey, podcast fans, this is Chris Webster, founder of the APN, and I just want to thank you for downloading this episode. Please consider becoming a member of the APN if you're not already and helping us make more great shows and get them out to the world. Head over to arcpodnet.com slash members or click the link in the show notes. On to the show. You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. Hi, everybody. Anna here. We are going to be taking the remainder of April off for various reasons, but mostly just to play catch up since a whole lot of life happened. All at the same time, we had the SAA conference. We're recovering from our various vaccine shots and we've got a lot of stuff going on. But we're not totally going to leave you hanging. What we are releasing here is a cleaned up version of an episode of Dirt After Dark, which is one of our premium Patreon episode series that we do. If you're interested in joining our Patreon, signing up and getting access to some of the bonus episodes, plus a newsletter that you get every month telling you what we're up to, you can go to patreon.com slash the dirt podcast. Thank you all so much for listening, for understanding, for supporting us, and we will be back in May. We love you. Welcome to Dirt After Dark, the monthly bonus episode where we tell you the stories too spicy for the main feed. This one is one installment in a double feature for you listeners. So I'm going to tell Amber a story, and then in the second part, if you haven't listened to that one already, she returns the favor. So let's get into it. It's my yeah. turn. It's and like actually Dirt After Dark because it's after like 4.57. I know, yeah. it's dark here too. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> Winter is hard. <laughs> I want to give the biggest of ups to Paul Cooper at Discovery Magazine's The Crux for 85% of this story. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I tried to add a little of my own flavor, but, you know. For centuries, the medieval fishermen who sailed in the placid waters of Lake Nemi, 19 miles south of Rome, knew a secret. It was said that the rotting timbers of a gigantic ancient shipwreck lurked below the water's quiet surface. But the lake was tiny, with an area of only 0.6 square miles. Amber, I cannot emphasize enough how important it is that you keep in mind that this lake is so very, very tiny. Okay? 0.6 square miles. It's very small. So this is like a... That's a lake? Well, I mean... It's a pond. Well, it's a big pond, small lake. I don't know. Can we have a brief sidebar to talk about... Lake V Pond. Yeah, sure, is, it's by depth. I think it must it be depth. I have no idea because I thought it was lakes have to be at least 50 feet deep. I think. Well, first of all, are there international standards? Second of all, it might be because we're going to talk about plumbing the depths. Also, my parents live right near a place called Farm Pond and it's massive. It must be. It should be a lake. So I don't really know. Anyway, it's very important like how- for the purposes of this story that you remember that this lake is comically small. The EPA's recommendation of four hectares, 10 acres, as the minimum surface area for a water body to still be considered a lake. Yeah, but that's surface the, area. The water, it's just, I'm trying to read you a series of sentences. <laughs> the water must also be at least three meters deep, 9.5 feet, to ensure stratification. Nothing. So it's, so, so okay, so it's got to be nine feet enough. deep. No, I think the key part there was stratification. Uh. Like having 
having like, stuff filtered down that you've got like your murky bits yeah. you've got your like I don't know clear, zone. clear, <laughs> clear middle bits, and then like the surface, right. yeah. And so I, th- I think that's what it is, but it's also surface area. Interesting, but again, we did not define ponds. No, well, do you hear my? Do you hear my dog? I don't hear your dog, but I might when I edit. Well, you will, because she's like circling me. <laughs> well, I still am not sure that this is an international measure, and remember, we're in Italy. Anyway. This is a a very small lake with no other body of water connected to it. So what could a vessel of such massive size be doing there? And yet, the stories about the gigantic ship persisted. Well, they couldn't have known then, but at the bottom of this tiny lake were two of the most unique artifacts ever to be uncovered from the ancient world. Their story would span millennia, bridging the eccentricities of Rome's most notorious emperor and one of the 20th century's most reviled rulers, only to be lost forever in the fires of war. Wait. Hmm. This is really small. So small. Yeah. So Was keep, it bigger in the past? Nope. Well, yes and no. We'll get, we'll get to it. Um, so the first reviled ruler was Gaius Caesar Augustus Germanicus. But mm-hmm. if that didn't, name doesn't ring a bell... Oh, but it y- did. You likely know his nickname, Caligula. There are very few surviving sources about the actual reign of Caligula, though he is described as a noble and moderate emperor during the first six months of his rule. Sort of goes downhill after that, and the sources focus upon his cruelty, sadism, extravagance, and sexual perversion, presenting him as an insane tyrant. I think one of the first things that I learned about Caligula was that he supposedly promoted his horse to Senate. Mm. It's hard to find good politicians. While the reliability of these sources is questionable, yeah, it is known that during his brief reign, Caligula worked to increase the unconstrained personal power of the emperor. Uh, It's probably also relevant that he was portrayed in Caligula the only movie ever to be produced by Penthouse Magazine, a 1979 erotic historical drama film focusing on the rise and fall of the eponymous Roman emperor. You ready for this cast? The film stars Malcolm McDowell in the title role, alongside Teresa Ann Savoy, Helen Mirren, Peter O'Toole, John Steiner, and John Gielgud. And it is the only feature film ever produced by the men's magazine Penthouse. So that was 1979. That is much too recent history for our show. So let's travel back in time to the original Caligula, which translates to Little Boots. Little Boots. Little Boots. And the story behind the Lake Nemi shipwreck. Caligula, the real one, was born into the first ruling family of the Roman Empire, conventionally known as the Julio-Claudian dynasty. So remember his name is... It was the first one. It was the first dynasty. That's yeah. That's what I said. Oh, I must have been squeaking. <laughs> just, just. <laughs> sorry. It's cool. Uh, so I'm so sorry. No, it's fine. Germanicus's uncle and adoptive father Tiberius succeeded Augustus as emperor of Rome in 14 CE. So he was named after Gaius Julius Caesar, the original one. You may have heard of him. He acquired the nickname Caligula, meaning little soldier's boot, from his father's soldiers during their campaign in Germania. And when Germanicus died in, at Antioch in 19 CE, Caligula's mother Agrippina, or Agrippina, not sure, 
returned with her six children to Rome, where she became entangled in a bitter feud with Tiberius. The conflict eventually led to the destruction of her family, quite literally, with Caligula as the sole male survivor. Un- Hang on. Yes. I'm sorry. So. Caligula's still a baby at this point, or he's a little kid. Yes. Germanicus. That's when his dad. Germanicus died. So he's named after him? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes, yeah, he's named for Gaius Julius Caesar, but then his last name is Germanicus after his father. My God. Too many names. Do you know how many semesters of Latin I've taken? Roughly, yes. And yet. It's fine. It's been a while. Did not. Don't worry about it. Man. Certainly not the crux of this episode. Untouched by the deadly intrigues, Caligula accepted an invitation in 31 CE to join the emperor on the island of Capri, so Tiberius, where Tiberius had withdrawn five years earlier. And so... Yes, the art. to his with, grotto with the art. Yes. Was that mm-hmm. the Lacquan? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Wait, wasn't Lacquan like in the grotto? I think it might have been. Because one weren't of them? the... What, when the... You Google. I'll keep reading. Uh, incidentally, Pliny the Elder in some of his writings called the Emperor Tiberius the gloomiest of men. So I'm sure it was a fun time. Following the death of Tiberius, though... Were you right? I'm guessing you were right. Was Laocoon in the grotto? So, it was one of the Sperlonga sculptures. Yes. Um, which were at the grounds of the former villa of Tiberius. Anyway, Caligula succeeded his adoptive grandfather as emperor in 37 CE. So, that's how he got... It's, that's his his rise to emperordom. Mm-hmm. Emperordom, yes. But Caligula was emperor for only four years, from 37 <laughs> to 41 CE. But for various reasons, some of them, you know, true to history, his name has lived on due to a penchant for sadism, hedonistic excess, and brutality. He demanded to be worshipped as a living god, which isn't that different from what Roman emperors did anyway. Like, they they apotheosisized after death anyway, right? They were raised to deities, so why not enjoy it during the lifetime, right? Uh, And he had the expensive taste to match. Records show that he emptied the imperial treasury in a single year with extravagant games and spectacles. Extravagant spectacles, including Big Ship Tiny Lake. It seems Caligula may have built his ships, ships, plural ships, on the tiny Lake Nemi due to its alignment with the goddess Diana Nemerensis, or Diana of the Wood, a fitting place for a living god to build his pleasure barges. And so here Caligula had two ships, but put a pin in that number, built at enormous expense. The largest, dubbed the Prima Nave. Amber, you want to flex that Latin? Prima Nave. Yeah, well. First ship. Yes. Was an enormous vessel, steered, <laughs> <laughs> steered with oars 36 feet long. So like if the oars are 36 feet long, how big that ship? Don't say that. <laughs> The second was a giant floating platform replete with marble palaces, gardens, and a system of plumbing for baths. The Roman historian Suetonius described the site of the ships, and I'm not going to be able to get through the sentence without laughing, so... Ten banks of oars. <laughs> Can't do it. The poops I mean, this is very. Which. This is very similar to when Calypso ate some glitter. The poops of which blazed with jewels. 
<laughs> Filled with ample baths, galleries, and saloons, presumably salons, you know, like resting rooms, and supplied with a great variety of vines and fruit trees. This is on a boat. In a tiny lake. So dumb. So quick reminder, this is a tiny lake, 0.6 square miles. <laughs> there were two, at least, of these massive fancy floating palaces built here. So the lake was about 90% boat. Um, um, related yes. to this, um, and like boobs. eternal folly, Western man's eternal folly. Yes. Um, so, um, cruises... But cruise liners mm-hmm. are like sort of like pound for pound one of the like single biggest drivers of like emissions. Ew. Like they are like yeah. like much bigger than like than flights. Anyway, back to Rome. On these ships, which again take up most of this tiny lake, Caligula was reported to hold parties where his wild and licentious appetites ran wild. Cool sentence. <laughs> With later historians repeating scurrilous and outlandish rumors about relationships with the wives of his generals and senators, and even with his own sisters. At least to some extent, you can believe the stories because he built these ships in the first place. Not necessarily the incestuous stuff, just like the the scale of the partying. Despite their expense, these opulent palaces were afloat for only the briefest time. So they were only in use for about a year. An exceptionally dry summer. And there was no more lake. (laughs) Well, there was no more Caligula is actually what happened. Uh, About a year into the boat's use, Caligula's four-year reign came to an end. An alliance of senators and the Praetorian Guard ambushed him, stabbed him to death, thus perished Caligula. Um, And attempts to restore the Republic after Caligula's death failed. Caligula's floating palaces, too, went the way of their creator. Their hulls were pierced and the immense ships were weighted with stones and sunk to the lake bottom. So what happened after that? So back to the top of this episode where I mentioned that medieval fishermen fishing in Lake Nemi kept saying, I think there's a shipwreck under here. I think there's a shipwreck under here. They did say that's like that. <laughs> I'm Italian. It's a fine. In 1446, <laughs> though, a young cardinal and nephew of the Pope... Sure. Named Prospero Colonna, decided to probe for himself the rumors of an unlikely shipwreck at the bottom of Lake Nemi. Unlikely because, again, it's a tiny lake. So he sailed out onto the lake, and sure enough, he could just make out a sprawling lattice of wooden beams. So he and his men tried to Wait, send... Wait, he just looked into it and was like, huh, it's a boat. Yeah. Well, it only has to be nine feet deep. <laughs> Those boats were probably mostly tall. You know, like probably sticking up out of the, I don't know. I don't know how deep Lake Nemi is, or at least how deep it was in 1446. We'll get to it. Prospero Colonna and his men tried to send down ropes with hooks on the end to retrieve parts of this mysterious structure, but at a depth of 60 feet, so it's at least 60 feet deep. It's 108 feet deep. It is now, but hang on, hold that thought. They didn't have much luck. All they managed to do was tear off some planks. So Colonna had confirmed that the wreck existed, minus a few planks now. But from there, the mystery only deepened. It's Chris Webster again. If you haven't checked out our new parent website, culturomedia.com, then please do. Culturo is spelled K-U-L-T-U-R-O, and it's where we promote all of our live events. 
We've got one coming up in November. Check it out over at Cultura when it gets posted. If it's already happened and you're hearing this, then as a member, you can go to your member pages and see the event recording. Our live events are always free, but you have to show up during the event to see it. So that's culturomedia.com for all our live events and more. Culturomedia.com. Chris Webster here, founder of the APN and host of several shows. I just wanted to let you know about our membership program and what it offers. Members of the APN get, for just $7.99 a month or cheaper if you pay for the year, ad-free episodes so you don't have to listen to me on the breaks, membership in our Slack team so you can continue the conversation with hosts and other members, and exclusive access to any of our live event recordings. Live events are always free, but you only get to watch the recording if you're a member. So head over to arcpodnet.com slash members for more info and to become a member. Our podcasts are always free, but this is just a little something extra and it really helps us out. That's arcpodnet.com slash members. So fast forward. A hundred years or so, in 1535, Italian inventor Guglielmo de Lorena and his partner Francesco de Marchi, Marchi? Marchi, returned to the wrecks with a new and exciting technology, a diving bell. So they descended through the murk and gloom and saw an enormous wooden superstructure far vaster than anything they had imagined. This is some James Cameron shit. Yeah, 1500s James Cameron. Giacomo I was going to say Giacomo, but that's not right. Is that Giacomo? Is it James? Giacomo Cameroni. Cool. The two fished around the bottom of the lake for artifacts, and they managed to bring up sculptures made of marble and bronze scattered on the muddy lake bottom. And so many others tried to explore and survey the wrecks, but without much success. So after 1535, Amber, can you guess which famous Italian was the one to finally reveal the sunken pleasure barges? Can you think of a historical figure, an Italian one? One that might be, say, obsessed with the legacy of ancient Rome? I can. Mm. Yup. It's that one. The ships Uncle Benito? Were, yeah, the ships were an obsession for fascist dictator Benito Mussolini. He worked hard to include its archaeological remains in his cult of personality. They just love that. <sighs> they love it. Fascists love the past. They do. Mussolini had embarked on ambitious projects around Rome. He was frequently described in propaganda dispatches as a new Augustus, because the old one went great, evoking the Roman emperor who rebuilt much of the city during his reign. It was only a matter of time before the dictator's attention turned to the mysterious ships at the bottom of Lake Nemi, because there were records by this point, records of the diving bell and records of previous attempts to survey the ships. So and in they're 19- probably still, like, still visible, yep. Yeah, it's a, <laughs> you can just a clear being like. Oh. So this is why I kept saying, I don't know what the lake was like then, because in 1929 Mussolini ordered the whole of Lake Nemi to be drained. So engineers reactivated an existing ancient Roman cistern together with a modern pump that reduced the lake's water level by 65 feet. So in the mud, slowly emerging from the waters, the Italian engineers found not one, but two enormous shipwrecks. The excavations would take years, with the second ship not brought up until 1932. So now I can finally tell you how big these ships were. How big were they? The ships were vast, among the largest ever recovered from the ancient world. The largest was 240 feet in length, the same length as an Airbus A380, 
So like those have the roomy seats. Those are those are the ones with the aisle seats, like the middle row of seats. Yeah. And the seats are bigger. And measured 79 feet across. Oh, my God. From inscriptions on lead pipes and tiles, it soon became clear that what had been discovered were, in fact, the floating pleasure palaces of the infamous first century Roman emperor Caligula. Until the discovery of the Nemi pleasure barges, it was thought that the Romans were incapable of building such large vessels. Why? What? I mean, they did like, you know concrete and aqueducts they did underwater concrete yeah i know yeah i don't know and like roads to everywhere yeah well i don't know i don't know why this was a particular sort of breaking point for believability but historians had assumed that measurements of up to 164 feet given for grain carrying vessels in some ancient sources were exaggerations i think primarily because you they've never been found these giant ships probably because they were broken down for parts after they were you know after they served their usefulness the nemi ships show they may have been real although this is like a bizarre example like this is these ships are not good examples of like it's good examples of the technological capabilities of romans that, that like they, they could have but maybe they didn't normally because it's not like, like they, these vessels needed to be seaworthy although wait till the next paragraph because <laughs> it's so dumb while excavating at Lake Nemi, Italian archaeologists uncovered a veritable treasure trove of artifacts from the wrecks. Why do you have to say veritable? It was just a treasure trove. I mean, but it is, it is truly that. Truly. Vast anchors, bronze mouldings, and marble statues came up from the depths, along with ornamental ore rings and joints in copper and bronze. So, like, joints as in the things that held the, the planks of the ship together. Yeah. Yeah. They found carvings and mosaics, put a, put a pin in those mosaics, even gilded copper roof tiles that would have shone spectacularly in the sun. The expense, so uh, it's, it's hideous. The expense of the vessels would have been enormous. And here's a special little detail. The wooden beams of the ships were even coated with lead, a costly treatment designed to protect seagoing vessels from shipworms. Lake Nemi is a freshwater lake. Shipworms don't live in fresh water. So they went ahead and coated these boats in lead, just because. They got an invasive species. Yeah, sure. So these are the ships that Mussolini found. And so for him, the recovery of these ships was a significant triumph, not to mention it came along with a whole bunch of shiny statuary and stuff. So as the mud-soaked wrecks rose out of Lake Nemi, it seemed a good metaphor for his promises to revive the legacy of ancient Rome in the modern day. Not a bad metaphor. It's a metaphor. <laughs> he had a huge museum built in 1936 to house the wrecks so that the public could visit. But Mussolini, like Caligula, would soon face a fitting downfall, hanging from a lamppost. And the Nemi ships would follow him into the ashes of history, which is a real shame. Well, I didn't realize that... Um, he excavated them. That there was, like, actual, like, archaeology done. Yeah. Because, like you know sort of by contrast i don't think like the nazis did like great archaeology not not in a sciencey way more in a artifacty grabby kind of way yeah like it was like more and i thought that mussolini was more in the realm of like collecting and and well, sort of like really what this was but he did at least he at least, least built like, a museum for but but it was all about propaganda really yeah I don't know how I, I genuinely don't know how much scientific 
exploration went into this project or if it was just about excavating and then displaying. Um, So interesting. Yeah. And a real shame because on the night of May 31st, 1944, less than four years since Mussolini entered the Second World War in support of Hitler's Germany, Italy was on the brink of defeat. The country had nearly capitulated and had been invaded by Nazis to prevent their resistance from collapsing. But the Germans were on a multi-front retreat across all of Europe and Allied troops were closing in. Incidentally, have you ever um, read about Mussolini's son? He was a, a really famous jazz musician and he sort of, he disavowed his father and he um, eventually wrote a book some, called something like My Life as Mussolini's Son or something. Yeah, I, I don't remember what it was called, but he was um, a really, really well-known jazz musician in the forties um, and fifties. And his and name was just like, Luca I think Mussolini. he, I think he changed his name. He changed it. Yeah. Yeah. But um, it was something like Rodolfo Mussolini. I did not Google this in preparation for sharing this fact with you, but um but it's really that's really interesting to me because of how much the Nazis hated jazz, because not only was it black people music, but it was like chaotic and not mm-hmm. ordered and it was improvisational. That's that's very not German. So it's not known whether the fires in the museum started as a result of U.S. artillery or German arson because Nazi troops frequently set fire to positions they abandoned, salting the fields kind of thing blowing up bridges on the retreat and doing anything they could to slow the advances of the Allies. Either way, the Nemi ships burned. Only some bronzes survived, along with a handful of photographs of the colossal wrecks. So if you go to the links that we'll have in the show notes, you can see um, some sort of vintage photos of Mussolini himself touring the, the exhibits. So like Caligula, Mussolini met an ignoble end, Less than a year after the ships burned, he was shot while fleeing Italy in disguise. And two days later, Hitler also took his own life. So today, the ghosts of the Nemi ships live on only in their photographs and the very few remaining artifacts that survived the fire. But wait! So it gets tackier. If it weren't for Mussolini, like, lowering, like, dredging, sort of draining the this lake if it weren't for Mussolini and pulling them out the ships would have probably survived to some extent like whatever damage and, and they would have gotten from being underwater added to that but but yeah they'd be they'd be there wow yeah I mean th- I mean that's that's true for like a lot of absolutely a lot of yeah. stuff from the ancient world like through like world wars one and two mm-hmm. like a, a ton of stuff, of stuff got destroyed a lot of stuff went missing a lot of stuff was destroyed not just ancient artifacts stuff like was, um Peking man, the the Java Homo erectus skull. That's right. Was on a World War One, two. It was on a it was on a boat that was torpedoed. Probably, it just sort of That's went another missing. Another Clive Cussler book, isn't it? Oh God, is it? Oh no, I think so. I don't want. Is that a movie? I don't want to watch it. It's not a movie. Good because it didn't get off the ground. Mm-hmm. Again, I don't know why. So but, we're continuing um, in our yeah. funneling Thank from you. exceptionally yeah. tacky to fascism well that's a bummer to tiny and tacky huh no it's like tacky fascism well no just just i want to see how you react to this because it's it's just absurd so this is this last bit is from the washington post when Mussolini launched his ambitious project to salvage caligula's pleasure barges lake nemi was only partly drained And in the decades since, rumors have persisted that the remains of a third 400-foot-long pleasure ship lurk in the deepest part of the lake. First of all, how? The 
the deepest part being a hundred feet. <laughs> now, first of all, the idea of a third ship in that lake is very funny, but it's not, <laughs> it's not completely out of the realm of possibility because local fishermen report getting their nets snagged in that area of the lake only to bring up Roman artifacts. So, it's very possible that stuff from the two ships kind of got scattered over a wider area, but maybe. Alberto Bertucci, <laughs> Bertie Bert, the mayor of the town of Nemi, said in 2017, quote, we know from documents from the 15th century that one of the boats went down in an area of the lake different to where the other two were found during the fascist era, end quote. Okay, so the 15th century was 1,500 years after this happened. So, like, how would you know where the boats went down? You don't know. I don't know. Luigi Datola of the Environmental Protection Agency of Calabria said that this gradually evolved into something more, saying, quote, We decided to dive further and search for the mysterious ship. Although it might seem bizarre that three huge ships would float upon such a small lake, yes, the fact that the vessels belong to Caligula makes the scene likely, end quote. So just Caligula's reputation makes anything absurd seem just like, yeah, sure. <laughs> the Tola and his colleagues have used side scan sonar and sub bottom profiling. <laughs> sub bottom profiling. <clears throat> I'm an adult. To search the mud at the bottom of the lake. And he says that they've already noticed some features that look interesting, and police divers will examine them for clues to the third vessel's location. Okay, so this news was from 2017. I was unable to find any confirmation that a third ship of any sort had been found in Lake Nemi. But I did find a little tidbit that makes for a nice, if silly, coda to this story from thevintagenews.com. This is Chris Webster with the APN. I'm also a project manager for several industries. I wouldn't be able to keep on track with really anything if it wasn't for Motion. With Motion, I just say what I need to do, how long I think it will take, what sort of priority I think it has, and Motion builds my day for me. It'll even build in breaks because, let's be honest, it's hard to remember to stop to eat lunch sometimes. So head over to arcpodnet.com motion for a free trial and a discount if you sign up. You'll kick back a small amount to the APN if you do. That's arcpodnet.com motion. Hey, fans of APN Podcasts, we've got lots of designs over at our Tee Public store. Every purchase helps out the APN with a few cents back to us. Check out the high-quality t-shirts, stickers, phone cases, coffee mugs, and a lot more. There are lots of colors to choose from in most of those items, and Tee Public often runs 30% discounts. So check out the store at arcpodnet.com shop. That's arcpodnet.com shop, and click on the link. It was recently revealed that a large piece of marble mosaic that was part of a pleasure barge built for Caligula has served as a coffee table in the Park Avenue home of a New York City antiques dealer. Helen Fiorati said, quote, it was our favorite piece and we had it for 45 years, end quote. The Italian government, though, had other ideas. Is the this multi- the part that I'm gonna, supposed to react to? This is, is the this part. the story that, yeah, this is that so I'm dumb. supposed to like have? It's so dumb. The multicolored mosaic was removed from the Fiorati home and is now back in Italy. It was once proudly displayed in an art museum devoted to Caligula's ships, financed by Benito Mussolini. So there's the coming full circle. But the mosaic disappeared from the museum either before or during World War II, since the museum burned to the ground in 1944. 
Fiorati said. After. Nope. Fiorati said she and her husband, journalist Nereo Fiorati, bought the music bought the mosaic from an aristocratic Italian family in the late 1960s. The sale was facilitated by an Italian police officer. And she said, quote, this was an innocent purchase. End quote. The Manhattan District Attorney's Office seized the mosaic as part of an initiative to return stolen Italian artifacts found in the U.S. using evidence supplied by art experts and the Carabinieri Police Force of Italy, specialists in hunting for artifacts. Other pieces have been returned as well, including ancient coins, books, and even an Apulian red figure vessel dated to around 350 BCE, which was found at the Metropolitan Museum of Art. Which was found. Which was found. <laughs> oh, oh, what's that? Just came lurking Good. out of a corner. Mm-hmm. No, District. that's where you. That's where you would find like, you know, human remains. Mm. Too real. District Attorney Cyrus Vance comic book character Cyrus Vance said quote returning lost relics to their rightful owners is at the core of my office's mission to end the looting of rare cultural treasures and trafficking of stolen antiquities these items may be beautiful storied and immensely valuable to collectors but willfully disregarding the provenance of an item is effectively offering tacit approval of a harmful practice that is fundamentally criminal end quote so there we have it this journey from absurd Roman pleasure barges to fascist fanboys to archaeological attempts to low-key coffee table crime. That is the journey that I have chosen to take you on. Wow. And all on this tiny, tiny lake. Oh, that's, yeah. Big boat, tiny. tiny lake. Yeah. It's, you, you'd love to see it. Man. I hate rich people. <laughs> <laughs> Ow. There are no oh. heroes in this story. There are no heroes in this story except Perhaps the the uh, fisher the, persons. Yeah, the fisher persons. Like, I think there's a boat down there. Yeah, they're just like Mamma Mia. I no way. <laughs> Latin joke. <laughs> <laughs> did I name? Did I title this? Sorry to Barton. Yeah. Or did you? I I think you did. I have no recollection of doing job. that. <laughs> I like squawked when I opened it because when I opened it, I only saw like dirt after dark, like so and like clicked on it. And I was just like, what a treat. But um, I like apart. OK, does, but apart from your distaste for rich people, I thoughts? find it so I find it really fascinating that. So this is something that um, this is something that the the folks at. Come on. Help me out. I have no idea where you're going, so I can't help you with where you are. The the guy that the Damien Huffer? The guy No. Oh. The guy that like basically like tracks the the co opting of like classical like rhetoric and art and archaeology in the far right and like Yeah. Um, I cannot remember the Latin name for it. Like the, the name for it but it's but it's based at we'll find we'll put it in the show notes but it's based um it's based at vassar it's based at vassar based mm-hmm. at wellesley mm-hmm. it's not another seven sibling school um people love like heart like harking back to the pharaoh empire pharaohs yeah um thank you thank you um, google like people love talking about rome like specifically Rome. Americans love talking about Rome. Because our like, founding and, fathers were educated in the classics. 
Uh, yeah. So that I mean, this like one of the lessons here is that you should never trust a classicist or a Greek bearing gifts. Yeah. Okay. Um, Trojan horse. Is- I know. Okay. <laughs> but but it's something that like. I don't know, like Mussolini being like so horny for like the Roman Empire and like going at like it's just like I don't know, it's so, it feels so on the nose. It's just like read the room. Like it didn't work out great. Well, that's the thing. It's selective. It's entirely selective sort of blindness to everything that was that didn't go well for the ancient Romans and and focusing on on you know, his desire to return Italy to some form of glory, the thing that he could latch on to, because Italy hadn't really had a period of glory, except for, I guess, the Renaissance, which was kind of great. But even the Renaissance was was founded in, was was had its foundations in resurrection of the classics. Yeah. So um, it's yeah, cyclical. And it's just- I don't know. It was the thing that he could latch on to that that especially in terms of militaristic success and glory. Yeah. And I yeah, you know, I guess like it makes sense that like fascists love a pretty fashy thing, which was like literally fast case, like the empire. Yeah. And the people who and so developed fascism the first time. Yeah, I think it's yeah. Like the yeah, Um, I think that the. The fact that after Caligula's removal from office, they attempted his mishap to, with several knives. Yeah, um, they they attempted to resurrect the republic. Right? They tried to sort of unsuccessfully, but the the military was like, nah. But yeah, because they're like, we we're the ones with the swords. We love this. Yeah, we're it's we're great on. to be us, and as long as we are still us, it's pretty great. I don't know. I think about fascists a lot. I think about fascism a lot. Can't think, I think why. It's real, you know. I think that we should have Sacco and Vanzetti Day and like celebrate <laughs> Italian American heritage that day, and like completely cede Columbus Day over to Indigenous Peoples Day oh, because, like, 100%. I would, I would, because, like, that's the that, those are the folks that like are apart from the um, Owen Benjamins of the world who think that like who are just like out there trying to like own the libs and like talking about like why like Columbus was good. Um, Mm. Apart from that very small percentage of people, a lot of people are attached to Columbus day because of Italian American heritage. And like, there's so many better Italians. I know, I know. And like, I, I get it. Like I get why Italian Americans would want to have a day like about being Italian American because like for a long time, like, being Italian American was very was being, hard. Was being non-white, essentially. Yes. Yeah. And so, like, I, and that's something I'm I get very it. aware of. Yeah. yeah. And and so, like, having that is is great. And that's why I think we should have Sacco and Vanzetti Day. Not only because like solidarity, but but also like they they did not commit a crime. No, they did. And good. were they were murdered by the state. Because they were falsely accused, because they were Italian. Yeah, I like. I'm on board. Like, yeah, that is who we should be having like Italian American heritage. I mean, or if not, nothing else, not like, the guy who like was a slaver. Like, let's not. Yeah, remember how Queen Isabella was like, "Oh no, don't take slaves," and he was like, "Cannot hear you over the like, sound yeah. of me enslaving people." <laughs> <I know. laughs> what? 
We've said I this before. Like, I, I feel like my, I wish I had like new responses to things instead of like, I hate the rich. And also like, this is the wrong Italian. That's <laughs> fine. You know, it's, um, it's in your sack of things that you pull out, you know, it's in your, your arsenal. <laughs> this is in my, yeah, you know, the, the old like turn of phrase sack of things you pull out i my brain short-circuited <laughs> could you hear the grinding like <laughs> noise it was like oh no i don't know the just words seized up <laughs> um but it no, is, i just wanted you to laugh at these silly silly boats with no. me oh no oh no i can <laughs> i can laugh and also <laughs> hate the rich oh yeah no but no, are, this um, i they, they, those here. things exist in in me uh, but i'm but the thing that i'm really just like i don't know very struck by is like mussolini like did an archaeology he did um and then it was like destroyed i know well of things of, of value to like human heritage so there's that wow Mm-hmm. I'm so glad we finally did this episode. Yeah, and I'm glad that I could sort of weave so many dumb things in there. <laughs> it's just... Uh. All right, thanks for listening, everybody. I hope you enjoyed whatever this journey was. And we'll be back with you soon. Goodness knows with what. But we hope you'll enjoy it. Thank you for your support, as always. I'm just going to include the next 40 minutes of Amber <laughs> cackling to herself. Yep. Bye. <laughs> this episode was produced by Chris Webster from his RV Traveling America, Tristan Boyle in Scotland, and the Archaeology Podcast Network. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Please consider leaving a review on your favorite podcasting app. You could also consider becoming a member so we can keep content like this free and available to all. Check out pricing and info at archpodnet.com members. Thanks again and have a great day.